0: That's T the number two T dot org.
1: Oh, should we start this show?
0: Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first.
1: Oh, for real?
0: Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions.
1: Ooh, that's helpful.
0: And now just customizing my down and monthly
1: payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh.
2: I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval.
1: Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste. Secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.
2: Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey,
0: everybody. Welcome to the Buck Brief. On this episode, our friend, Bridge Colby, founder and principal of the Marathon Initiative, guy who's super smart about things all over the world, especially in China. Bridge, good to have you back. Great to be back, Buck. So how do you assess, we're kind of doing a year in review and a year look ahead here, right? How do you assess uh, Biden administration policy vis-a-vis China this past year and just big things in China that have happened or are happening that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Buck, honestly, I think
2: we got to we got to step back. Um, and I don't think this is an exaggeration. I mean, it sounds kind of over-the-top lurid, but I, I, I honestly think it's borne out by the facts, which is that the foreign policy our government has been pursuing over the last couple of years is basically catastrophic at this point. I mean, you look around the world, um, we've got the largest war in Europe in 75 or so years, and it's not only is it not likely to end soon, uh, it is unfortunately possible the Russians may be gaining the upper hand. I mean, Zelensky apparently has been been recommended that he mobilize 500,000 additional Ukrainian troops. Neither we nor the Europeans are clearly gonna at least, you know, increase uh, armed supplies, et cetera, the Russian military production's going up. They're mobilizing forces. They're adapting, et cetera. Largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust and a war going on in Gaza that, according to the Israelis at least, doesn't seem to be likely to end soon, possibly going to expand on the northern front, obviously the Houthis, et cetera. The North Koreans testing what essentially I think at this point we need to assume is a nuclear-tipped uh, ICBM. And then, of course, you have, you have China. And so, I mean, I, I think... You know, we've tested essentially a policy of, you know, the focus on the rules based international national order. We can walk and chew gum, et cetera, et cetera. We can try to globalize our alliances. And now here we are. And, if, and effectively, I mean, my read, I've been really trying to understand and in a sense give the administration the best possible interpretation of what they're doing. I honestly don't think, again, it's that much of an exaggeration to say there's, it's a form of appeasement that they're trying because they essentially asked Xi Jinping for the meeting now, they weren't willing to do certain things like basically give over Taiwan like, a you know, on a, on a platter. Um, but, you know, ap- according to senior administration officials talking to Politico, they were saying that they were distracted. Basically, they didn't want a problem with China in the coming year because they have Ukraine, the Middle East. And even they said re-election campaign, <laughs> I mean, which is like surreal that they're talking about that. And now it's just coming out that. Xi Jinping basically was like, we are going to reunify. I haven't set a timeline, but like, that doesn't mean it's later. It could mean earlier. Like, he's obviously not going to tell us. And we're not in a good position there. So we're overstretched. I mean, I'm not saying the Chinese are necessarily deliberately behind this. It's possible they have been in certain cases. I mean, Xi Jinping and Putin spent an hour and a half, two hours together one on one at the Belt and Road Forum. I think this was in November. What were they talking about? They were not talking about like their golf game. They were. Presumably talking about the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. So I, so we're not ready. If anything, the Chinese are not actually being deceptive. They are pretty clearly signaling that the military option is there and we're not prepared. And then, of course, you have the whole situation with the supplemental, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, Biden has essentially staked his own, certainly, but to the extent that we're with him, uh, sadly, as a country, also our national credibility and, and sort of, uh, interests on uh, a foreign policy that I think is resulting in a, in a really, I mean, uh, the most dangerous situation. I always hate this. I think we've talked about this, but like John McCain, you say, oh, it's the most dangerous time in history. And you know, he'd say this in like 2005. And I was like, actually, no, this is quite safe. Today, I actually think we are in the most dangerous time in generations.
0: What do you think the the opening phase of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, I mean, what, what, what does it look like? Is it just um, initially... You know, airstrikes, trying to, d- to develop air superiority, and then a whole bunch of, uh, of troop transports and, you know, battleships, et cetera, going across the, right. the Strait of Taiwan. Like, how does it, how does that actually unfold to the best of, you know, your ability to kind of war game this one out into the future? Cause I'm just wondering how much, you know, warning would we have of this and how quickly could we respond? Well, I think that's an excellent question. And I think,
2: um, look, stepping back a second, my kind of methodology is like, I don't pretend to know what's in Xi Jinping's head. And there are other people who know what the PLA is doing more than I do. But I think the right way and I think the, the heuristic, if you will, that's been borne out the best over the last 25 or 30 years about China is a kind of geopolitical realism And and not like a rationality, like, oh, they're perfect, they're going to do exactly the optimal thing at all times, but they're going to do the thing that makes the most sense for them. And so that's like the, you know, in that sense, any of us is as good as anybody else to kind of try to put ourselves into their shoes and say, what's the best option? Well, I think if you look at the best option, clearly Taiwan is never going to fall into their hands peacefully, and we're not going to give up our position in the Pacific. And if, as Eli Radner, the Assistant Secretary of Defense Asia has said their goal is to eject us from the Western Pacific. They ain't going to do it peacefully. They're never going to become hegemon peacefully. Okay, if you're going to do it, then you're going to you're going to go to war. Okay, if you're going to go to war, how do you do it? Well, I mean, clearly one of the lessons of Ukraine is go big or go home. Don't half measure it because that results in suboptimal outcomes, which it's you end up in like a quagmire or like a quicksand kind of situation. So if that's the case, like, I don't know. But, you know, if I were putting myself as a strategist or strategist or what have you, In in the in Beijing, I would be saying, look, if we're going to do this, we got to do it right. And if that's the case, if you're going to launch an amphibious invasion and put a gun in the face of the Taiwan leadership, etc., which is the only way to really reliably get them to give up, then you're going to not allow the Americans, you know, basically the opportunity to operate from sanctuary and come after you. So you're going to try to exactly as you said, you're going to try to drive down warning. Which is, you can't hide, but you're going to hide in plain sight in the same way that Hamas hid in plain sight from Israel. And of course, it's a different thing, much, much, you know, more sort of, um, irregular warfare type thing. But at the point obtains, which is that you just make, and you, you have a lot of experience in this field, you make things ambiguous, uh, unclear, well, uncertain. this is what I, what I was victory, going to ask you. How
0: do we, yeah, let, let's say, let's say that China yeah. declares that, and, and I, I know, I don't know to what degree they could, you know, they have people who are fifth columnists on the island of Taiwan who could do this or not. But Probably let's say China says, yeah. you know, well, there, there's a a concern about, uh, you know, about the legitimacy of the current government in Taiwan. And as like a, as a right. dear neighbor and friend, we're just going over to oversee the next Taiwanese election peacefully. And they just slowly, yeah. but surely, send a bunch of troop transports. They don't fire a shot. They just, hey, you know, we're coming to, we're coming to check out what's going on there. We, you know, we're gonna do a little mandate. We're gonna overview the next election and basically right. dare the Taiwanese to start sinking vessels with like a thousand Chinese soldiers at a time on them. Right? I mean, how, how does that's like that? That's one thing.
2: Go? I, I think that's risky for them because then they've kind of forfeit the element of military surprise. I think the way that they would be more likely or they would be better off pursuing is like they would start doing the things that would look like the indicators for a big invasion a big amphibious invasion like operating across the median line like conducting amphibious exercises like operating their desensitization
0: is what this would be right this is like which
2: is what they're doing (laughs) which is what they're doing so it's like i mean we're not quite there and then the problem is is like mr president i think this is it and and he's but here's what you have to do to respond well, do I really want to do that? That's going to be so provocative. They're going to accuse me of destabilizing the situation. I don't know. And then you miss that window. That's that's what's that's what's dangerous.
0: I'm going to ask you for some 2024 predictions on China here in a second. But first up, the team right. at My Pillow has another winning product. They're my towels. I've got them here at home. I love them. They're fantastic. Wife and I are using our My Towels every day. My Pillow secret of all this in all this is they're using 100% long staple Sherpur cotton. This ring-spun cotton is what makes these towels absorbent and softer than ever. You can get a six-piece set for an introductory sale price as low as $29.98 with my name, Buck, as your promo code. You get, to get the designer premium line for just $20 more. No matter what set you decide on, you're getting 50% in savings. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square. Get the new MyTowel six-piece towel set, 50% in savings. Remember, enter promo code Buck for this special. MyPillow.com. Radio listener special square and your promo code buck for the six piece towel set. All right. Do you expect anything big from China in the uh, 2024 U.S. election year? Like if they were going to try to do something really provocative with old man Biden at the helm and God knows what happening here in terms of our politics, do you think they see a big opening or is that too aggressive? How do you what do you make of it?
2: I don't think it's too aggressive. I think, I I don't know. I I, I think the big question for them is whether they can succeed, right? Like, if you're going to do this, you you don't want to screw up. Like, you don't want to end up where you've launched a big amphibious invasion and then you failed. That's like, that's like bad, bad outcome. So the, a lot of that has to do more with, like, military development timelines and what they think we're doing and how, they, how far they think they've come across. A lot of the people who are more sanguine about things say, well, the PLA, the, the Chinese military, isn't confident yet. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, nobody's ever – I mean, you remember, you know, what Don Rumsfeld said to Tommy Franks. Franks said, we're not ready, and he said, you go, to re- you go to war with the army you have, or maybe it was Shinseki or whoever – Right, But basically, militaries never think they're fully ready. The question is whether political leadership thinks they're ready and whether things are going to get better. So I think 24s, anything could happen. And I think they've created a political pretext with the potential election of William Lai on Taiwan, the deep green candidate who they have tried to paint as essentially pro-independence. He's moderated his position, but from China's point of view. So, I mean, you know, I think the, 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 the sort of smartest money still looks later in the decade but i think the advantages of a potential dpp election which will they they could paint as hey these people are never going to you know unify and the deep predicament that the biden administration has gotten us into where we're stretched all over the world and the, and they claim that they're prioritizing china but that's laughable the president doesn't even mention in his oval Off address there's only a few billion out of 100 zillion dollars or whatever in the supplemental for for taiwan and pacific defense so i think It's a it's a real possibility. I mean, you know, I mean, my view is anybody who says it's going to happen or it's not going to happen, I don't take that seriously. I think at this point, you know, the the smartest military leaders saying that we don't know, but we got to be ready today, tomorrow, two years, five years.
0: How screwed up is the Chinese economy? Because just even uh, looking at it on a on an ad hoc front of the Wall Street Journal kind of basis, you'll see things of just you would think. Big problems hitting China: their real estate market, their uh, you know their lack of growth, etc. Hey, are, are they in real trouble on that front, or is it just more noise that seeds or uh, recedes into the background?
2: I'm trying to figure that out myself. There's a guy named Michael Pettis who I think is one of the best sort of sources on this. Who's actually is, who called the, the troubles that China's going to have, you know, and has said th- this is you know predicted this for years, and he's been vindicated. But he also says, look, the Chinese economy is not going to collapse. I think they have deep structural problems. They're going into slowdown. But from a strategic point of view, like if you're putting money to work, this is a different question. But if you're looking at it from a strategic point of view, I think you have to say, look, they're, they're I mean, and also they're not changing their policy. There was just one of these uh work meetings, one of the communist terms they use for like their economic policy, you know, get togethers with the senior leadership. And they seem to be on a steady course. You know, they're changing a few things, but they're not going into big stimulus. They're not stopping the attempts to deepen economic resilience in the face of Western pressure, et cetera. So I think from a strategic point of view, we should expect more, more of the same. Like, we shouldn't expect any fundamental change on their
0: behavior. All right. I'm going to come back and talk to you about Ukraine here in a second. But first up, if you're doing any kind of exercise on a regular basis, you want to get a hold of a new pre-workout that is amazing. It comes from our friends at Chalk, same company that makes the Mill Vitality stack that so many of you have found enormously helpful But this pre-workout, it's called Chad Mode. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, this gets you absolutely fired up. It comes in the form of a powder. You put a single scoop in a glass of water before you work out. I'm telling you, I've been having great workouts, even when I feel like I didn't get great sleep the night before, or I've got a really long day, because of Chad Mode. Go to Chalk to get your Chad Mode. C-H-O-Q.com is how it's spelled. You save 35% off the subscription you choose for life by using my name, Buck, in the promo process, or in the purchase process, rather. Chalk.com, C-H-O-Q.com. Use my name, Buck, for 35% off. So I don't pretend to be a uh, Ukraine-Russia expert, although I know there are so many of them all of a sudden, right? Like there's all these people out there who know everything <laughs> about Ukraine-Russia. Right. Um, you know, right. I, I, did, I did get both, uh, you know, firsthand experience and very high-level policy access uh, for Iraq and Afghanistan stuff. And one right. thing that I can, I can say transfers over very well and this is just sort of taking an open source 30,000 foot view. When people keep telling you we're about to win and then every six months they have to redo that we're about to win and then there's a big reversal and they say, oh, no, don't worry, we just need six more months and we're about to win, you should be very, very concerned. And on the Ukraine front, uh, it seems to me that after all the articles from like last January about all oh, the spring offensive and the, the, the Ukrainian military is amazing. And it's all I mean, my understanding is it's it's like a total stalemate, except one side has a lot more men to throw at this than the other side does over the long term. So what, what do you see going right. on in Ukraine?
2: Yeah, I mean, sadly, I think we see essentially what you could think of as a reversion to the mean, right? Like, I think people really got got euphoric in 2022 and i was i think you and i were both skeptical of that and and you know got a lot of flack for it
0: but you know it's better to
2: plan for
0: when that can i just throw out there bridge i was saying um we're gonna very quickly be looking at a half a trillion to a trillion dollars of spending on this everyone's underestimating the depth of the russian military their willingness to fight i was saying that in like february of 2022 but keep going
2: Well, you're right, man. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's essentially, look, mass attrition resolve. These basic factors matter. The Russians have adapted, too. So I think, honestly, what we're looking at, it might be stalemate might actually be a relatively good outcome compared to some of the alternatives. I mean, I don't want to I don't know, but the Ukrainians are having real difficulty and they're 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 mobilizing a lot of men who are now like the median age is like 43. So this is this is a very tough situation. I mean, and I think, you know, my view, and I think your view as well, has been that, look, the, the, the political support, especially when you look at the context of 20 years and the GWAT and all this stuff, it's not endless. And a lot of, like, I think hawk types have their kind of theory of mobilizing the American people has been the, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And my view is like, look, obviously, the direction of travel is going to be greater skepticism, especially as I mean, I've just struck like one thing, honestly, and I, I don't mean to be trite, but like. There were Ukrainian flags like everywhere in Washington DC at the beginning of the war. And now it's very hard to find them actually. And I'm thinking to myself, well, did these people d- did the war end? No. You know, no, it's become like it's something that's not as fashionable anymore. There's the Middle East war, other things are going on. It's gone, but like the war's going on. And that's often how wars between determined states are 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 resolved. And I think unfortunately That My view is that the Russians are actually a a serious threat. They're not going to roll all the way to the English Channel. But if you're in Eastern NATO, you better take care. And, I mean, you should not take what Joe Biden or George W. Bush, for that matter, said to the bank. Because the American people, and then this is what's being shown. I mean, even very, 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 like, pro-Ukraine war senator. I've been struck. You probably noticed this, too. Over the last couple of months, have like, done a, a remarkable 180. On, you know, in connection with the border issue, but also just, I mean, that tells you where the American people, I mean, you can do all the biased polling you want, but that tells you more than anything else. These guys are very astute political judges of where the American people's thinking on this issue is going. And I think that the American people are rightly saying, like, this is likely to go on at some, at some length, and we've got to be more realistic about it. I mean, my view the whole time has been, you know, be realistic and try to deal with the situation. When you're in a better position, you know, both from a military point of view in terms of focusing on China, but also politically, what can be realistically be expected in in the context?
0: How do we end this thing or how is it ended, perhaps? And we try to bring that about in whatever way that we can because it's really not ours to end. Right.
2: I mean, I think, look, the, the Russians clearly think they've got the advantage still or that they're going into the direction of the advantage. So I don't think as, as hopeful as I mean, I would love to if there were a political solution on the table that were tenable. But I just don't think there might have been early in the conflict. And if that is true, you know, the, the story stories about, you know, a month in there was a deal. I mean, that will be a real tragedy and that will be rude going forward if there was a deal. I don't know all the details. I think, unfortunately, the way it's going to be is. Probably the Ukrainians are going to be able to be strong and stout enough that ultimately the Russians decide it's not worth it to keep going. But I don't think we're in that. I mean, you know, 1951, the, the Americans and the Chinese and so forth started negotiating only stopped two years later. So I think this is where we don't have the resources, given the China threat and other things, obviously the border, et cetera, that's going on to, to provide Ukraine the support that we have. been. I think the Europeans need to step up and it's well within their capacity to do so. And, you know, it's going to be up to in a sense is that's that's going to determine if the Europeans step up and give the Ukrainians a lot of money, build up their defense industry. Then I think more optimistic war aims are tenable. If they don't, then it's going to be really tough.
0: Before we let you go, I want to come back and ask you, Bridge, about a place anywhere in the world that you think going into 2024 in this next year could be a real flashpoint, as in essentially a place that people should keep an eye on because things could could really escalate. But, but for, uh, first up, you know, when President sure. Biden botched the Afghan withdrawal in 2021, it sent a message to the world that we were weak and we wouldn't protect our allies. Six months later, Russia invaded Ukraine. We are just talking about this. And now we're witnessing a new war in the Middle East that is escalating quickly and could bring in outside combatants. But former Wall Street insider, Tika Tawari says all this global instability is actually not the single biggest threat that the United States faces. Tika believes, and he's a guy who's been on Wall Street a long time, that The collapse of the U.S. dollar is ultimately our greatest vulnerability. And that's why Tika has just released an informative video to help you prepare. He wants to make his case and help you prepare. Go to MoveYourCashNow.com to learn the three steps you need to take to protect and grow your wealth in the coming months and year. That's MoveYourCashNow.com, paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. Bridge, where are you keeping an eye on the globe for... Things could get out of hand fast here. That's not, you know, Ukraine, China, or Israel, Hamas.
2: Yeah, well, Taiwan is, of course, the big one, but I would say the Korean Peninsula. I mean, there is a real ticking time bomb there, which is, is that the North Koreans have been developing both nuclear weapons and an ICBM, basically a missile that can hit the continental United States. And they're basically at this point, I think they're at the point where we need to assume that they can hit the American homeland. And the basic problem, to put it kind of, you know, tightly, is that it doesn't make sense for Americans to lose multiple cities in our country to to prevent North Korea, which is a tiny economy, nasty group leadership, obviously, but not a major threat to, to the United States itself, uh, uh, to lose multiple cities over something that North Korea is doing. It is a very direct threat to South Korea and to some degree Japan as well. Our extended deterrence, our basic saying to the South Koreans, hey, we will... You know, if North Korea uses a nuclear weapon against you, uh, we will use a nuclear weapon back. That made sense when the North Koreans couldn't hit us at home. Now that they can, that's under, I think, effectively intolerable pressure. The North Koreans are increasingly knowing that. Seoul, the South Koreans are increasingly knowing about. The administration is trying to do basically just keep the problem away. They basically sent some submarines. They've said, we're going to consult more with South Korea. That's moving deck chairs on the Titanic. This is a big potential problem, especially given that, and you see this all around the world, Countries are now saying, hey, Russia and China, if I want to push against the Americans and their allies, I got backers, right? Like the North, the Russians and the Chinese have backed the, the North Koreans up in the U.N. Security Council. Used to be that they would put some pressure on the North Koreans. So I think this is a, another wild card that's obviously very directly connected to, to China as well and, and Russia, too. I mean, the, the North Koreans are helping the Russians and vice versa. But that's another wild card that I think is very
0: dangerous. Bridge Colby of the Marathon Initiative. Happy New Year, Bridge. Hopefully the world doesn't go to hell next year and we can enjoy the holiday. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. All right, see you, Buck. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, Tunnel Towers has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He enlisted in the military after graduating high school and left behind a pregnant fiancé who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and fallen first responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. America's heroes are counting on you. Ninety-five cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate eleven dollars a month Tunnel to Tunnel Towers at t2t.org. That's t. The number two T dot org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of the Drudge Report.